The Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they might be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they might be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Two verses from that gospel lesson. It'll actually be the beginning and the end. The first, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. Then the concluding verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Today, we move into the season of Lent, which is a season of great personal pieties for many of you. It's a time where we see Jesus turn his face toward Jerusalem and to the cross, and we are encouraged to do the same, recognizing Jesus' journey to be crucified on Good Friday. It's a time often associated with personal repentance, for our own sinfulness. To look at the cross is to look at ourselves. To see Jesus crucified is to recognize why Jesus was crucified, for the forgiveness of sins. Traditionally, this was also a period of abstinence and renunciation of various things. The idea of that practice, of course, was to focus our minds and our hearts on God during this season. This was the tradition of Lent, and it very well might be something many of you practice to this day. I have to tell you, though, for me personally, I've always viewed it slightly different, and the reason has to do with my background, 
I grew up in Mount Angel, Oregon. It's a very small town, about 20 miles east of Salem, which is overwhelmingly Roman Catholic. There is a monastery and seminary on a hill. The town, by the way, is less than 2,000 people. There's a convent in town. The public elementary school is located on Church Street, and it's called St. Mary's Elementary School. And it is truly across the road from St. Joseph's Catholic Church, the only building of more than four stories in the entire town. In fact, before 1969, there was no public school in Mount Angel. The only schools were run by the church. And that's why the name, by the way, is still St. Mary's. It was gifted to the, to the town. The high school, though, they thought they would secularize it. And instead of it being called St. Benedict's Preparatory School, it's now John F. Kennedy High School, <laughs> making it Catholic and secular all at once. <laughs> now, I only share all of that because it really did mean something for those of us who lived in Mount Angel who were Protestant. As a result, in my family, frankly, we didn't do many of the renunciations or abstinence of things from Lent because that's what all our Catholic friends did. And I can't say that in my young life the spirit of ecumenical thought was present in my life. I didn't usually look at my friends and see their practice and respect it for the meaning that it was. Instead, we tended to do something else. We made fun of it. We would caricature them in the Lutheran Church as doubled over with the guilt of not being able to please God. Quite frankly, we essentially just assumed all Catholics were just like Martin Luther before he discovered grace. This was wildly unfair and not, frankly, an appropriate thing to do. And frankly, my only real defense is that I was a kid and I was going along with others. But I share that only because I think for some of us, this caricature of Lent can be alive in us in some ways. That Lent is somehow really about guilt and shame. And I share that because I think the fear of guilt during this season isn't just something we see as troubling for those people over there. And I believe that's why we Protestants in Mount Angel would poke fun, is that it was easier for us to point the finger at them than face the reality that we felt like we were in the same boat. The fear we all hold as we focus on our own mortality. That we are going to die, and we recognize that the reason we die is because of sin. As Paul says, the wages of sin is death. So when we focus upon the cross the way we do through this journey in Lent, I fear that we can feel isolated and alone. I, the sinner, before God... 
fail to do what is what God requires of me, and thus I die. I remember that I am dust, and to dust I shall return. That feeling can be bleak. Is that all that I really am? Dust? By that logic, forget about these words Jesus tells us about practicing our piety in front of others. Maybe I shouldn't even bother with piety at all. After all, if I'm just dust, what's the point? It's a terrifying and isolating experience if you're in that state of mind. If I am a miserable sinner who comes to Jesus before the cross with all my sins, meaning all the bad things I have done, I don't know that I can help but to feel that guilt as a lowly transgressor who is nothing more than dust before an almighty, perfect God. And I think that picture can be a hard one if we're in it because it's hard to find much grace there. I'd like now to shift to the last part of our reading for this morning, or this evening. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Aside from the context of treasures in heaven rather than on earth, I suggest for tonight focusing on something else. You have a treasure. It's yours. That's a completely different tone than I alone before Almighty God. Instead, you are one holding a treasure in your possession. Jesus warns us to build up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What does that imply? It implies the treasure that we have, that real treasure, is one that will not be destroyed and will not be stolen. It will remain and endure. And that treasure is not located somewhere out there, but right where our heart is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That says that our heart is also a place where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. It's the place where Jesus holds you tightly to himself. It's not so much the poor, miserable sinner coming before the righteous God, but instead is God coming to you right where you are. The incarnation. Jesus becoming human. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which means if you can look at your heart, your treasure is there. Sometimes you can see it. Other times you might be in a place where you can't. But it's always there with you and has been this whole time. That's where Christ clings to you. That's our treasure. 
See, we confess in our service today that we are sinful. And we are sinful. But it is far less about my personal terrible sins alone. But instead, that we are all living in this broken world that is corrupted by the power of sin, death, and pain. The language we use regularly when, regularly when we confess is we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. It tells us that we have been indeed corrupted by sin. And yes, we do continue to sin and we can't do anything about it. We continue to do so. As Paul says, the good that I would, I do not. Yet the evil that I would not, I do It is a tragic tale. But rather than that being isolating, as if it was me personally before God, I hope you can see the community in that. No one is uniquely sinful over against all others. Where your heart is, there is your treasure. And it's the same treasure for each one of us. Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I wonder if you can see the grace in that statement. The way that's a treasure. On the one hand, it sounds like it's, frankly, about the moth and rust, and rust destroying, about dust. And it is. We become dust at our death. But on the other hand, is becoming dust really that much of a problem? We were formed from the dust of the earth. And new life in Christ is established exactly in the dust of the earth. In the new heavens and the new earth. We become the creation we were always intended to be. To be dust is not a bad thing. The new creation Christ has brought into this world is made up of dust that has been reclaimed. It is dust. It is treasure. Being dust is not a message of guilt or shame, but freedom and grace. It's saying that no matter what our pieties are during Lent or otherwise, eventually Christ holds on to us and says there's something within us where your heart is. That is a treasure and cannot be destroyed and will be raised on the last day. Thanks be to God. Amen.